The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, step away from the Rock Band controllers and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 492 with guest Aaron Sconard, recorded live Tuesday, September 1st, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the only man to win the best .NET Rocks host prize... Six years in a row, Carl Franklin. Hey, this is Brandon Wen. Uh, I'm editing this show, and Carl and Richard wanted me to let you know that they are stuck in Amsterdam at a hotel with no Wi-Fi, so they couldn't upload their intro. So here's the interview they recorded with Aaron Sconard. Our guest today is Aaron Sconard. Aaron is co-founder of Pluralsight, where he focuses on cloud computing, service-oriented architecture, XML, and web services technologies. He focuses primarily on the Microsoft platform and is considered an expert in the Microsoft community on Windows Azure, Windows Communication Foundation, BizTalk Server, SOAP, REST, and XML technologies. Aaron frequently consults with small companies to the largest enterprises on how to approach realistic service-oriented architectures. Aaron spent years developing course materials and teaching professional developers throughout the world, and now he spends most of his time recording online courses for Pluralsight On Demand, a revolutionary online training library for Microsoft developers that provides on-demand access to a rich collection of training courses delivered by industry authorities. You'll also find Aaron speaking at popular developer conferences like PDC, TechEd, and VS Live around the world. Microsoft recognizes Aaron as an MVP in the Connected Systems Developer Community. He's written numerous books over the years and over 100 different articles and white papers on Microsoft technologies. Aaron recently published several white papers on the Azure Services Platform, .NET Services and the .NET Service Bus, Building RESTful Services with WCF and the WCF REST Starter Kit, and the Managed Services Engine, MSE, from Microsoft Services. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Good to be here. So we wanted to find somebody who had a cloud application that uh, was being used in the real world and not just a um, sort of a, a research project. Yeah, we've got one. So Pluralsight On Demand. Yes, Pluralsight On Demand. It's our, our first uh, cloud app at Pluralsight. It's basically training for developers in the cloud. And the training is... The, the the same kind of quality training that you get from Pluralsight if you're taking a class, right? Is it a yeah. video of a class, or is it specifically made for online learning? No, it's not a recorded video of like a classroom delivery. It's actually, you know, fine-tuned and, and recorded specifically for the online delivery. Um, you really have to, you know, record the, the modules and break them up and 
and make it uh, you know more optimized for the online model. We felt so uh, it's it's very it's a new format. It's customized, and we've built our own Silverlight player, you know, for the video that uh, works really well. Lets you jump into videos. Basically, each each uh, course is divided up into modules. Uh, so if you if you've come to a instructor-led training course before, it's very similar to what you would get if you went to a three, four, or five-day training course. And each module is factored into like two to five-minute clips that you, that are indexed and searchable, so you can kind of use it as a reference material after a class, but you can also use it as a as a first-class training vehicle too. Okay, and the uh, is it Silverlight used being used to deliver the content? Yeah, so Silverlight is the player, the primary player experience we provide. We provide two players, one in Silverlight and one in Windows Media Player, but the Silverlight one is is kind of the premier experience, the one we've spent most of our time on, and okay. and uh, it works really well for that. And so you use the cloud to distribute the files? Is that how it works? Yeah. So when we sat down to, to – I mean, we've always been – Pluralsight's been around for about six years now, and, you know, we've always been uh, kind of a uh, in-person, instructor-led training company since the very beginning, and – you know, didn't have much experience uh, with online training. And so when we approached this this new model, um, we we kind of felt like we needed to. We felt like the trends were moving that way and really felt the, the desire to explore that. But at the same time, we didn't have a lot of upfront capital. We didn't want to take a lot of risk. Um, and we didn't want to you know, basically make a lot of commitments, you know, sign contracts and all that kind of stuff, uh, which a lot of the content video solutions out there require. Yeah. So when we approached this, we, we really wanted to kind of take our typical delivery mechanism for training, put it up on the web, but we wanted to do it, kind of test the waters without, you know, fully jumping into it uh, from the business perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why cloud computing was so attractive to us in the beginning. Okay. It accommodates all that. Right, so and we also had some very specific requirements that you know that we couldn't fulfill with traditional techniques. I mean, we wanted to make sure uh, we wanted to be able to design the app in a way that wouldn't require us to like rearchitect it or re- redevelop it as we scaled. We have a lot of customers at Pluralsight who take our you know our ILT, the instructor-led training classes. Right. So we potentially might have needed to have thousands of concurrent, you know, viewers at a, at a single time, and we also have customers all over the world. So we have geo location issues to deal with. So, which uh, content delivery network did you use? We ended up using uh, Amazon S3. Okay. At the time when we started doing it, we, you know, Azure didn't even really exist; it hadn't been announced, and uh, we'd been wor- we've been working on this for uh, several years now. Um, so in the very beginning, we shopped around. We actually looked at a lot of other solutions before we went the cloud route. We looked at, you know, video content distribution networks and, you know, the typical players in all those spaces. And every single one of them, uh, you know, there was a big upfront capital cost with every one. And they also all required long-term commitments. You had to sign contracts, you know. And, huh. and those were two things that we really didn't want to do. We really just kind of wanted to dip our toes in this in the beginning well, to yeah. see, you know, how it would work before we really committed. And, you know, I looked at doing this at using Amazon S3 actually for distribution of, you know, our shows. Sure. And what kept me away from it was the fact that there was no uh, reporting on the file-by-file basis. Like, I want to know how many people downloaded show number 412 yeah. this month. And there wasn't any way to account for that. That's exactly right. One of the trade-offs with cloud computing is while they give you kind of the virtualized data center model, so you're basically renting data center by the hour, basically, kind of, you know, kind of thing, depending on which model you're using, you end up having to build a lot of your own tooling around it, um, which is a better developer problem to deal with than managing a whole bunch of servers, right? So with our solution, we did have to build that in. We had to build management and tracking infrastructure. Um, and we also had to build tools for our authors to use to get the data in and out of S3. So, right? how, yeah, I, that I can understand. How, um, how did you do that? Uh, specifically, how do you count the, the downloads just by the c- people clicking on your, you know, play now button? Well, yeah, that's one of the things. There's, there's kind of some infrastructure built into our player around that, right? So okay. our Silverlight player. Uh, you know, sends messages up to S3, and and those messages are being tracked. So we're tracking that all that kind of stuff in our own backend 
monitoring system that then integrates with S3. So we've, and we've got a security model in front of that so we can keep track of who's coming in and we can keep track specifically about, you know, how many, you know, the activity on a per-user basis. So we can see that Bob has accessed this many videos in the last 30 minutes kind of a thing. Now, S3 is just data storage. Where does the app live? The app lives, uh, the, all the infrastructure that, that, you know, relates to like subscribing and accessing the content and, and, and uh, authenticating lives on our web servers. Okay. So we do have a few web servers that we co-locate and we, you know, we own and we maintain. We wanted to make sure we wouldn't have to add a significant number to that, right? So if you think about the content, uh, the size of the content, we're talking potentially thousands of hours of videos. And, you know, the management around that, making sure we don't lose it, backing it up and, uh, you know, that, that's just such a huge part of this new product that it felt like just pushing that piece off into the cloud, just the storage and delivery of the videos would take a significant burden off of us, which would allow us to kind of, you know, focus on, on, on the stuff that we're good at, which is just building the, you know, the typical .NET code to do all that kind of stuff we just talked about. Well, and interesting you didn't go down the EC2 route and actually create a, a some virtual machine instances out there to run that part of the app. Yeah, we've considered that, and we may do that at some point. Um, but we felt like right now we already had the servers up and running. We didn't want to spend too much time, like, you know, re-architecting our app and pushing our app up into EC2 and, and just kind of dealing with all those complexities right now. Right. So we, we, we've kind of we've, – we, it is something we're considering for the future, but – um, right now, we felt that the servers we already own, that we had already made an investment in, could handle the new the new functionality just fine, as long as we put all the data, all the delivery, all the all the bandwidth stuff up into the cloud. Yeah, the, the pain here for you is handling potentially thousands of customers streaming data all at the same time. Exactly. So you just, uh, I mean, uh, I take it you have just one URL, and S3 takes care of where. That gets routed to, right? I mean, that's one of the benefits of putting stuff in the cloud. What do you mean by one URL, Carl? Well, okay, so let's say you have a, um, a file, a video file out there, a WMV that you want to stream. Yep. There's only one URL to that. You don't have to, you don't have, you don't have mirrors. In other words, you don't care. You don't have to pick where, you know, which server this is coming off of. There's right. just one, yeah. Yeah, there's just one URL, and when people come in to request it, they come in through our player experience, and then that, you know, there's an authentication step that happens along the way, and then they, they get, you know, the way the security model works is, is you know, as, as they provide the credentials and they say, I want to get that URL, then we basically grant them uh, temporary access to go fetch that URL, and it's just basically just doing a progressive download. It's not true streaming either. So it's very simple. Um, oh, okay. You know, you stick files up there, and you can just go point browsers to them and download them. So all the stuff we built in front of it has, you know, is just there to for the business stuff. Do you give up some of the features of IIS, like the um, uh, adaptive streaming and stuff, or does S3 also have that? Yeah, you give up some of that stuff, but we didn't really care too much about that right now in the beginning. Um, it really felt like uh, progressive download was good enough, and it has been so far. Haven't had any issues. Good, good. And obviously, you've avoided buying servers and an awful lot of bandwidth directly. Is uh, this been is the cost an issue here? Because I think a lot of people have fear around the cost of cloud computing. They're going to get smacked with a big bill at the end of the month. No, I you know I hesitate to tell you exact numbers, but I appreciate um, that. the <laughs> the to the total cost we're spending per month is far lower than we ever anticipated it to be. I mean, it's, it's even better than our best estimates. So, uh, you know, the cost has not been an issue. It's been, it's completely facilitated uh, this, this experiment, which has now blossomed into a first-class product for us. I mean, we, we, we're having a lot of success with it. Customers love it. And now we're, because we didn't have to fork out all this cash up front, and we've seen that this is something that the market really wants, we're now able to, to really start to invest in a more serious way and, and expand things, and there's lots of things we can do. But this thing has sold us completely on, on, well, at least me, on using the cloud for at least this scenario. I mean, it's a perfect fit for this scenario and, and has worked very well in terms of reducing risk. 
You said you built some tooling for getting files up there. Is that just basically FTP? Uh, yeah, kind of. But there's there's a few other things. I mean, we wanted something a little more like SVN for S3. Okay. So yeah. we built a tool kind of like that that our authors can use, and they can just kind of run this tool on their on you know in a command line on on their side, and right. it'll take care of synchronizing directories from their local machine up into the cloud. And oh, that's cool. It, it does. It sets all the security uh, policies properly as the data is uploaded, and you know, basically just makes sure the data gets in there correctly. And cool. uh, it's it's kind of a magnified FTP, but it does a, a quite a bit more than that. It makes it really easy for the authors. So we yeah. had to invest in that, and we also had to invest in all the monitoring, tracking stuff. Uh, and and but the good thing is you get other features for free, like the geolocation, which I think you mentioned. I mean. It, it's just really a configuration setting. So once you get everything up there and you've got your app built around it, if you want to, you know, say, okay, guys over in Europe should get this data from Europe data centers, it's really just a configuration setting in S3, and then it just happens. Yeah, you don't have to do anything there at all. And, no. Yeah, that's not too likely to happen if you build it yourself. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely not uh, not trivial to do that. But by that same token, you could have avoided S3 and gone the sort of Akamai route, too, because you're just using the cloud piece here to store the videos. Yeah, Akamai was definitely an op- an opportunity for us. Um, as we looked into a lot of the content just distribution networks and the video streaming providers out there, the, the cost was the difference right. and the contracts that they require you to sign. So all we wanted to do was give someone a credit card and have a monthly contract, if that. Pay as you go. Yeah, and that's what that's what the cloud gives you. There's no upfront commitments. All you have to do is provide a credit card, and you can cancel at any time. And you're paying for storage as well as uh, you know uploading and downloading. Yeah, and you pay for exactly what you use. You pay for exactly what you use. So you only pay for the bytes that are in there, and you only pay for what comes in and out of your buckets. And um, that's unlike all the other traditional models, right, which require you to basically over-provision. You have to say, well, we need to anticipate, you know, 2,000 concurrent users, so we're going to need this much bandwidth capability and this much storage capability, and you over-provision to make sure you're not going to screw your customers. And the cloud works around that. Have you, have you dealt with any outages? No, we haven't, luckily. Thank goodness. I mean, you know, other than the the, the periodic uh, deployment uh, screw-up of our own, you know, on our own servers, and nothing that has caused customers to not be able to access videos. Um, so the, the S3 side of it has been completely fine. Because there has been times when Amazon has had some problems. Yeah, in the beginning they did. And so, you know, as we shopped around in the beginning, we kind of, you know, we were we were wondering which one to go with. And this was before Microsoft was, was completely in the game. And so we, we couldn't really give them serious consideration at the time. Otherwise, we would have given you know, Windows Azure and the Windows Azure storage uh, equal consideration. But uh, the thing that really sold us was right, right as we were making that decision, you know, Amazon S3 had already been out for probably two to three years at that point, I believe. Right. Um, they released an SLA. Right, yeah. Actually gave you terms. So they gave us terms. And once they gave us terms and it's Amazon, you know, that basically sealed the deal for us. And right. said, okay, we can, we can count on this. I mean, who else can we go to to get this kind of an SLA, get theoretically unlimited storage and unlimited scalability that you can actually trust? Yeah. Well, and again, yeah. we, uh, not going into specific numbers here, the question mark we always have is, is this actually as scalable as we believe? It's just like they say, unlimited storage in your email Right up until you hit the limit. It's just that they figure they've set the limit high enough that it's more than anybody ought to use. So the theory behind this is that, you know, the the big players, uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, potentially others, you know, have become experts at building data centers. So they've built these humongo data centers, and they've over-provisioned for themselves, right? Right. So they have way more than they need. And so now they're trying to monetize on that excess by selling it to us. So, yeah, there is the possibility that, you know, there might not be enough at some point. But uh, I think these guys, you know, are, are, you know, they've become expert enough in watching the trends of their own data centers, watching the growth, watching the peaks, watching the low points, 
and and uh, and and really understanding how quickly they need to grow their data centers and and grow their platform. That that's not likely to be a problem, especially for a small company like us. That's just you know just a a pinch of salt in the grand scheme of things. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the Rad Control Suite for Silverlight. Are you already playing with Silverlight 3? Then you might have started using .NET RIA services, rich internet application services, which make data operations a whole lot easier, especially for a line of business applications. So check it out. Our friends at Telerik are again ahead in the game, tapping on the new benefits of Silverlight 3. Their Rad Control Suite for Silverlight now fully supports .NET RIA services and domain data source. So if you're wondering what's in it for you, the answer is pretty straightforward. You get completely codeless binding to RIA services, impressive validation support on the client and on the server. Your customer will also be pleased to sort, filter, and page data much faster as all data operations are now server-side. Besides, the suite also offers out-of-browser support, and as you might already have heard, the first commercial 3D chart. Check out the Telerik Silverlight suite at telerik.com slash silverlight. Don't forget to say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. So when, when you compare this, like, I'm still wrestling with this whole software as a service, which you know was in your, your bio, and cloud computing, because I, I don't necessarily see them as the same thing, right? Where do you put this product? That's a good question. Um, Pluralsight On Demand is a software-as-a-service product, in my opinion. A software-as-a-service product is one that is completely accessible via the web. Okay. Right? So, you know, you can go in and you can, you can buy access. You typically subscribe to it, and you get some, some kind of, you know, monthly or some kind of subscription to, to some service that they're providing. Salesforce.com is the traditional example because you basically get a Salesforce database that you're renting from them on a monthly basis. And you can cancel any time, but all your data is living up there in their in their in their system. Right. Uh, so that's a software as a service. Cloud computing is is more of a platform play, right? So it's more like you could use cloud computing, a cloud computing platform, to build a software as a service application. That's kind of the way I look at it. Um, so like Outlook Online, Outlook Web Access, or the whatever they call that now up there, you know, the the whole Exchange Online thing. That would be a software as a service play. Right. It's OWA. Right. But, you know, Azure, Windows Azure gives you a platform for building apps. There are no apps yet, right? It's just right. that's the platform through which you can build apps and deploy them on these data centers that uh, a lot of software as a service apps run on. So Salesforce.com is another potential cloud player, right, contender, because they've got huge data centers also. They were they were one of the first ones, you know, uh, to build a super scalable, you know, uh, SaaS app. And uh, if they've over provisioned and have you know resources they want to monetize on, they could jump in the in the game too, which I think they're doing. Well, yeah, and, and of course they existed long before the term cloud computing existed, so they just sort of jumped under that banner because it's hip now. Exactly. I remember these guys all as application service providers not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the terminology makes it really confusing. I mean, you know, SaaS is the way I think of it is SaaS is 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 just an app, right? Where cloud computing is more about platforms. And it's important to understand that there's several different types of platforms out there. There's quite a few differences between the way Amazon is approaching it, Google and Microsoft. Um, you know, the EC2 model, which you mentioned, Richard, is more uh, like just taking VPCs and sticking them up in the cloud. Right, which means you're still totally responsible for your ability to scale. You know, if you've got singletons running on those VMs, you're going to have a tough time scaling that app up. That's correct. You still have all these same architectural problems that you had to deal with before. You're just being shielded from all the IT management issues. Yeah, but the Windows Azure platform and something like the Google App Engine is also, both of those are very similar. They give you a virtualized platform. So you can't just do whatever you want, right? You have to play in their sandbox. Right. But as long as you do that, they can then kind of auto-scale and take care of some of those more difficult architectural problems for you. Well, and I feel like Microsoft has tried to build constraints around what you can do in that space so that you will tend to build more scalable apps. 
That's that's exactly right. I still think and, you can hang yourself just fine, but you know they're yeah. trying to make it easier. Yeah, and the the Google app Google app engine is is the same way. I mean, you know, when you think about the the scalability of their of their search engine, their database on the back end, they have this thing called the uh, the Big Table database is where all their data goes on the back end. You can tap into all that through the Google app engine, right? But you have to write the code using their framework, using their supported programming languages. Which uh, you know doesn't give you many options today. Yeah, can you say vendor lock-in? Exactly, and at least with at least with Windows Azure, you've got you know you've got more of the flexibility of the .NET platform in general, which opens up quite a few more doors. But you're still still fairly locked in, which regardless of who you go with. Yeah, I I tend to agree, and but I also get the sense that I mean, so far, every time I talk to an Azure guy, they categorically deny this. But to me, it seems obvious that sooner or later, there's going to be Azure services for Windows uh, Server. It's got to be. It's Because you can run Azure on your dev machine right now. So why wouldn't you have this intermediary step? Oh, you mean being able to, to run Windows Azure on your own servers? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, data will happen. I mean, it's, it, you know, it kind of makes sense to some degree, but what's the... What's the business model behind it? The business model is building a bridge to the full cloud computing scenario. So I envision, A, I, I, I've got this insecurity that I don't want to be dependent on Microsoft's data center and I want to be able to run it in my own data center when I want to. But I also think there's the idea of I build this app and it runs internally and I don't get a monthly bill from Microsoft. And But I know that if I grow to a certain size and I my data center can't take it anymore, big daddy's out there with a monthly bill to help me. Yeah, potentially. But I, I, I could see that. And I've been in a lot of the Azure SDRs when people have voiced that question and Microsoft has, has categorically denied it, like you say, that you know that's not in the current plans. So I've heard the same message directly from Microsoft in those rooms, and I don't think it's probably part of the the, the immediate plan. At least um, it may happen at some point. But the the true model, the true scalable model here for Microsoft in terms of revenue, is getting everyone to just start paying them a monthly fee in their data centers that they've already invested in. Absolutely, yeah. I, I I agree. I just think that they can easily see this as. Uh, you're still going to sell Windows licenses. There's still some revenue there, but it's a bridge to the bigger system. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. It, it, it could definitely happen at some point. A lot of the technology that they've built, you know, to, to, to provide this cloud computing infrastructure has been, you know, inside of Microsoft Research. And, and there are things, especially in like the .NET services space, a lot of that stuff, um, they've talked about potentially giving that code out at some point. I've, I've heard them right. say that. Um, but, not not as a productized thing. It'd be more of a you know go check it out for fun kind of a thing. But but maybe it's definitely possible. It would definitely distinguish them from the other guys if they did that. And I'm yeah, and I think that's one of the. There's two reasons I can see them doing it. One is because they own the whole stack. It's much easier for them to do this than anybody else. But the second thing is they're going to continue to fight for that distinction, and this is a distinct element. It's something very powerful for them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, more than anything, the distinctive characteristic of cloud computing over software as a service or any of these things is that, and I'm putting on my IT hat now, is this concept of elasticity that I, instances spin up, spin down, the thing adjusts its size to match demand. Mm -hmm. And nothing else seems to have that idea. The only problem, of course, is that I don't believe it till I see it, and I haven't seen it. Nobody seems to actually be doing this yet. Uh, that's correct um, to some degree. Today, it requires human intervention. They all provide the capability to do it. Yeah. It just requires a human to monitor the system and, pr- and basically implement the elasticity themselves. So in other words, like in Windows Azure, you can, you can crank up new instances or take them down as often as you want. So if you're monitoring the system and you notice you need more, you can crank up more. And if you, if you keep watching it and you notice that some of those clients go away and you don't need as many, you can take them down. Same with Amazon. What no one's really doing is providing an automated, you know, monitor-driven, uh, you know, sub- capability around that. Although I know they're all looking at doing that. Yeah, I, some I think kind that's... of supervisory tool that realizes when more should come up and, and can be turned down so that we're 
you know, only running the gear we absolutely need to run. Well, and it still begs the question how well the load balancing works, how intelligent the application is running across a farm like this. I mean, I built this stuff the old-fashioned way where we were literally ripping servers out of boxes, throwing them in the rack and powering them up, and they were using uh, the uh, the network boot-up sequence to find their image, load their image, and add themselves to the pool as fast as we could go because we were getting hammered, you know, <laughs> which was, you know, an interesting couple of weeks. But... Uh, I just yeah. am waiting to. I'm waiting to have that kind of experience with cloud. Have you and seen the Amazon EC2 deployment model? I ha- I have. Let's talk about that. What is like? Yeah, yeah, we need to talk about it. So you you go to their. You know, if you're using EC2, you go to their. You know, their configuration website, basically their management site, and you say, "I want a new server instance. This is the image I want to base it on." You configure everything and say. Go put it up there, and within literally within a minute or two, you have an instance up and running. And what's EC2? EC2 is their elastic uh, computing infrastructure. Okay. So it's it's basically a way to run VMs up in the cloud. They support Windows VMs, so Windows Server 2003. They also support Linux. Uh, they also support WebSphere now. Wow. Uh, so they, they charge different amounts for each one based on the cost of the licenses and stuff. That's all kind of factored into the monthly you know, the, the utility-based cost of the service. Uh, and you just get charged for, you know, however long that thing is up and running. Huh. Yeah, well, how much is it? Pretty cheap. Um, I mean, well, it depends on, I guess it just depends on how many instances you have and how long they're running. But, you know, if you just need to get a server up and running for a couple hours, for example, or for a couple days, it's extremely cheap. It's, it's you know, in the order of magnitude of, uh, you know, probably like, 20 cents, 10 to 20 cents for so many hours of computing cycles type thing. I see. So it isn't something that you would set up as a web server or something. You would you'd set it up as a server that a limited number of people would have access to. Potentially, but I mean, a lot of people are actually using it for web servers too. Yeah. I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, if you think of your, it depends on how much the IT cost is going to um, is going to save you over time, right? If you really, if you're a ticket master and you're dealing with peak loads all the time, this would be really attractive, I would think, right? Yeah. Because when you're at kind of the constant rhythm of of day to day stuff and you're not having peaks, you know, you only need to have so many servers up and running. So the cost for maintaining that load is is reasonable. And then when you need the peaks, you bump them all up, you know, bring up these virtual images and then mm. take them back down. And you're only paying for them right when you need them. So in that kind of scenario, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're always running at high lows and you, you need a lot of servers, um, obviously there's a threshold that you cross at some point where it might make sense to just have your own data center. So tell me what it is about uh, about your the solution you went with Amazon that that Azure doesn't have. And, and what would Azure have to get before you would consider moving? Well, we're, our app, again, is really simple from the cloud computing perspective. We're only using the storage, so we're not storage. using anything like EC2 yet. And it's just to store data and get data in and out. So the equivalent thing on the Azure side would be the Windows Azure storage model. Right. And that it actually looks fine. It looks like we could use it. I would like to use it. We'll probably port it over at some point. Um, you know, the problem is it's working really well right now with S3, so we're already kind of experiencing that vendor lock-in to some degree, right? We're not yeah. super motivated to move it over today because why? No, sure, sure, I understand. But it, what you, if you can, you compare and contrast in terms of performance and price and and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, price they're pretty equivalent uh, as far as performance. I haven't done enough testing to tell the difference, but I'm I'm assuming they'll be very equivalent as far as that goes too. It really looks like they're the same. I mean, okay. there's really not going to be a lot of differences between S3 and and uh, you know the Azure storage. There's also the SQL, you know, the SQL services or the what do they call it now? SQL Azure, mm-hmm. Azure SQL. I can't remember what the new name is. They got a new marketing name for it. All but right. uh, SQL Server in the cloud, right? That that doesn't really appeal to us because that's more about relational databases in the cloud, right? We just need blobs. 
Right. Yeah. So the storage mechanism that's built into Windows Azure itself is is very equivalent to what S3 provides. It's just blobs of data. You stick them in, and you can get them back out using GET request. Um, the, you know, the one as we get into it, doing the port at some point, the things we'll most likely run into an issue with is is the differences around the security model. But that's probably it, like how you authenticate and control access. But I've already looked at their documentation a little bit, and it's 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 a very similar architecture for that stuff. So I'm I'm guessing it won't be terribly difficult to flip it over. And at least from the perspective of vendor lock-in, storage seems to be the least locked in because they're all basically what more can you do except here hold this for me okay now give it to this guy that's it and they all provide rest apis so the only thing we'd have to really do is pull the data down stick it back up over there and then and then modify our tools that we've built already to work with uh the azure rest api which is going to be very similar to the one that we're using with s3 the urls will be different a few things like that but other than that it's going to be very very similar in a lot of ways. But like you said, you started before Azure was really an offering. And uh, until you see something really compelling, why would you break something that isn't broken? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a timing thing, right? I mean, we would have loved to have built it on, on Windows Azure because we, we do like Microsoft technology. And I mean, that's our focus. That's where we have our expertise. And so right. we really wanted to. Back when we were doing it, the the thing that we actually looked more closely at was the Silverlight streaming stuff. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard much noise about that lately, but back then, like two and a half years ago, they were talking a lot more about that for the video kind mm-hmm. of streaming, actually, actually providing an online video solution, right, for storage and streaming yeah. that you could pay for. But once Windows Azure came to the forefront, I kind of they, they kind of stopped talking about that. Have you heard about that at all well, recently? I, I mean, I've done shows on the run as side around adaptive streaming, and but that's a that's really a facility of IIS seven. I don't right. think they've, they're offering it in the cloud at all. No, this no, is uh, this is Silverlight streaming. This is Windows a Windows Live service where you basically can upload a file, you know, a, a whatever it is, a video file, and then they'll give you back a URL where you know it's like hosting for Silverlight videos. That's exactly right. That's what we looked at, and I haven't heard them really talk much about that since Windows Azure kind of went to the forefront. Well, it's a Windows Live thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm sure that it's. It's up there. I think the guy to talk to about that is um, Angus Logan, you know, on the on Windows Live team, Live Services. I'll check that out. You know, I mean, that was probably the most, but even that wasn't quite ready back then when we were digging into this thing. So it, it was a timing thing, and this is the thing that most developers are going to deal with right now with respect to cloud computing. If they if they can identify, you know, specific apps where there's a scenario that really makes sense. And, and I think Pluralsight on Demand is a good example of one where it was just a slam dunk for us. Um, you know, you've got to kind of look at all the vendors that are out there now, the differences in the models, what they provide, cost, and make a decision. And then once you invest a bunch of time in building some of those tools that you're going to need and getting your, you know, getting your infrastructure in place and training some of your developers that will be working with it, it does make it harder to move, right? I mean, it's not so much that you're totally locked in necessarily. It's just harder to change later on. Yeah. And uh, I think that's going to continue, only continue to get worse over time. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Well, yeah, you start thinking about Studio integrating in. I don't know if this is in 2010 or not. I'm totally blue skying this. Integrating in your ability to sign up an Azure account and just put your website or your demo app on Azure. So you're just up and running. If I'm in the ISP business, I should be scared. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> I think all the ISPs. I mean, the typical, the typical, you know, uh, co-location facilities, all those types of, you know, the mm-hmm. rack space uh, yep. providers out there. They should all be a little worried about this. I mean, well, and, and Rackspace just made an announcement they're going into cloud as well. Yeah, as they were they, they were a likely contender too. So I'm not too surprised to hear that. It's you know, the ones that are big enough to do it are going to have to do it. Yeah. 
Well, and it sort of begs the question, why is Microsoft running this? Why aren't they providing the tools so that ISPs can, except that it's a good business model for them. They make more money this way. Yeah, and they have they have a lot of expertise in data centers. I mean, some of the you know obviously you guys yeah. know the <laughs> some of the largest websites in the world Microsoft runs and manages. And um, well, and that brings yeah. up an interesting point, which is how many Microsoft properties are running on Azure. Uh, at this point, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to it. So um, far, near as I can tell, the number is zero. Well, we don't know. Yeah, I think I mean, if they were, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a matter of what you consider Azure. They're definitely running in the Microsoft data centers, yes. but they're not running on the virtualized Azure platform they're now right. giving to us. I know what you're going to say, Richard. If they were, we they would be talking about it. Oh, they'd be singing to the heavens about yeah, it. They would. You're and right. I'd like to. I want to know. I want to see that. I want to hear the case study. Like that to me is fascinating. Show me the big site, right? Show me the whopper. <laughs> Move over Microsoft.com, put live on there, you know, put MSN on there. And now you're talking. Well, and I think that, you know, mm. since they made the announcement at last PDC, I think that was the point of the convergence of strategies within Microsoft, right? So you had all these independent teams kind of working on what felt like their own little cloud strategy, Right, you had yes. like the .NET services guys doing their thing, the live services guys doing their thing. You had the Windows Azure, the Red Dog guys over there doing their thing, and there were several others. Right, all the SaaS, you know, things with Office and things like that. They're going to be part of you know a cloud play. And PDC was that first moment when you know the execs at Microsoft had to step in and say, "We've got to have a coherent, unified strategy." for what this is going to look like to the rest of the world. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't look like we're running in five different directions at the same time. And that's, that's when they repositioned everything around Azure, and they started talking about all those independent offerings in terms of Azure, right? When they really didn't have any direct integration with Azure at that point, you know, most likely. I, I really don't know, you know, if that's true. But from everything I saw and heard, it certainly didn't seem like that. Well, I mean, the three of us all work pretty closely with Microsoft in various respects, and you, we all know quite well, often one hand's not talking to the other. Yeah. The idea that there would be a coordinated strategy around that stuff is just mythical. Mm. Yeah, and at least the teams that I was working closely with, I mean, there was a lot of shakeup two weeks before PDC. Oh, yeah. But, no, no kidding. Yeah. yeah, and so, I mean, I think over the last year, as this has all kind of developed out, especially the marketing strategy and how they talk about it, they're getting very, very consistent now about talking about everything in terms of Windows Azure, even though not hardly anything is probably running on it quite yet, right? Which is important. I mean, it's important to get the message right, but I think it'll be a little while before you see the whopper on Azure. Well, and I, if I'm a guy, if I'm the architect of a big Microsoft property, and I it works right now, and we've already paid for the infrastructure for it, you're going to have a tough time convincing me to take the bet. Just like an external party has that same problem. Why would I take this chance? If Microsoft came to us and said, hey, we'd like a case study, move your app over to Azure, we'll pay you this money to do it, we'd absolutely do it. Right. Right? But short of that, it's got to make sense to us as a business. Right. Yeah. The thing is, you are taking a risk. There's no two ways about it. You're taking something that works, and you're risking it to move the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you, one interesting thing, one of the big challenges with cloud in general is getting large amounts of data in and out, like these yeah. videos, for example. Well, Think that's about, exactly what you, you know, do, hundreds right? of terabytes of, of databases or music, right? Things like that, videos. Those guys, you know, part of the, the obstacle for them to get data into the cloud is just the cost of getting it in, right, to begin with, right? Because if you've got hundreds of terabytes, you've got to get in before you can really get your app up and running. You've got to pay for that. Amazon also recently released a new service for for providing a more efficient way. This is the most efficient way to get huge amounts of data into the cloud. Guess guess what it's based on? What technology? FedEx. No. FedEx. <laughs> no, I did that. I did this for a customer one time. They were transferring about 800 gigs of data, and that day I. I lit- I burned a DVD and sent it FedEx, and the download wasn't finished before the FedEx package arrived the next day. That's funny. Well, yeah. people lose sight, right? Yeah, I mean, you can overnight the hard drive, right? And, yeah. I mean, it, it'll get up there. The data will get up there much much more quickly through FedEx than uh, the web. So what what is Amazon doing? 
they have a service like that where you can basically pay them and you ship them a, a FedEx hard drive. You FedEx them a hard drive, and they will basically uh, upload your data, have it up in your in your cloud uh, repository, you know, wherever the data is supposed to go. And it's a it's a cheaper way to get the data in, so it's less mm-hmm. expensive than paying you know by the byte to upload the data in, and you can get it in much more quickly. Yeah, yeah. nice. And based on FedEx, it's it's funny, but it's true. That, yeah, sneaker netting isn't dead yet. It is. It is. I mean, so the cool thing about Amazon is they're they're kind of tackling these really practical problems that people are facing right now with with trying to adopt the web. With, with solutions that, that work. So I kind of look at them as the, the leaders right now in this space. And, and both Google and Microsoft are doing really, really compelling things, and, and I think they're catching up quickly. Microsoft has the advantage of the unified developer platform, like you've already said, and that's going to be their upper hand, right? If they can provide a superior tooling experience, that's how they're going to win customers over from, from Amazon. Well, definitely, I think... Uh, you know, having a relationship with developers so that they build apps to the stack is a big thing. But I'm, I'm also, again, with IT hat on, this end-to-end mentality where we have operating systems and so forth. You know, imagine the power of you have your own data center, but you've got your VMs backed up to Azure. So if my server face plants, rather than having a backup server, I just switch to the external data center. Or we, you know, that's your disaster recovery site. And you keep yeah. in sync with that and can switch over to it on demand. Yeah, I could see that. That's a that's a good use of it. Well, and, it, and it's a way to move these bigger players that already have infrastructure. Or suppose I'm dealing with data where some of it is very sensitive, and and because of regulations, it cannot leave my office. So that data stays on my servers, but the other stuff could go on the cloud, so I don't have to pay for everything. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen the kind of the economy of scale effect with the cloud? Like how much less expensive it is. Uh, typically to, to put data in the cloud versus uh, paying for it yourself? Well, yeah, uh, I can tell you firsthand. Um, at the time this show airs, we'll probably be in the throes of it, but um, this we're recording this on you know, September 1st. And uh, as of September 1st, I've been looking at a content delivery network, which is going to dramatically reduce the cost of, uh, of downloads. Simple CDN is the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay. And it's it's ridiculously cheap, and and only fifteen bucks to start. Wow. And they, so you only you start an account for fifteen bucks. Uh, you know, create a bucket, upload a file with FTP. They give you a URL. You start downloading, and not only it's not only faster but cheaper. But didn't we? And we figured out the math at forty dollars a terabyte for for download. Yeah, ridiculous. $40 a terabyte. And so, yeah, no, it as of today, September 1st, it doesn't provide the level of tracking that we want, and that's why we're we're waiting to pull the trigger because I need file by file. I, I They give you bucket download stats, you know, how many bytes have been downloaded from the bucket. And if there's only one file in a bucket, that's not practical. But you do not get, you know, a file by file breakdown. Yet, and they say, their website says as of today, September 1st, that uh, they're, they're working on a new version, which will have re- detailed reports. But as of right now, it's not there. Very cool. Well, I'm, I'll be excited to hear how that goes for you. It, the reason I ask, the guys from Berkeley, have you seen the Above the Clouds research paper that those guys produced? No. It, it talks a lot about the economies of scale around cloud computing and just why the economics seem like they're going to work quite well for businesses. So if you, if, you, if you have an interest in that, we should point readers to that paper because it's all about the economics and, and the issues there. And one of the studies they did is they compared the cost between a medium-sized data center and what they consider a very large data center in terms of number of machines total. And the difference between a medium-sized data center and a large one for just network throughput bandwidth is uh, goes from like $95 per megabit per second per month down to $13 per megabit per second per month. Yeah. Right? So it's like a, a seven times uh, difference. And same thing for storage and administration. Uh, you know, medium-sized data center usually takes like one admin to run about 140 servers. 
But the guys that run these very large data centers, the Microsofts, Amazons, Googles, they can have one guy manage over a thousand servers. Huh. Wow. So I mean, that's why these guys can sell the the usage. They can rent us basically space and 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 CPU cycles on their servers for so cheap. Hmm. Wow. The economics are really interesting, and that and that's why there's an opportunity here because those guys have figured. I mean, just how much those guys pay for electricity, right? Right, is so much less than most companies have to pay for electricity that are running a small to medium sized data center because they need so much of it, right? Here, they buy in bulk. Here's a question for you: Is there a market you think for um, management of cloud resources? In other words, do you think the ISPs may morph into simply having people at a telephone, you know, or at a cell phone sitting at a desk monitoring that uh, maybe they're not running the servers there, but they're just watching the stuff that you have in the cloud. I could see that happening. Yeah, I could see ISPs now providing kind of a, an IS, a kind of a web app centric model on top of a cloud platform. So they then build their infrastructure on top of a cloud Right, and they provide a very easy, manageable experience for building those specific types of apps and hosting them and managing them over time. And all their stuff is just built on the cloud. Completely changes their risk, their model, what they have to spend money on. Is there value there? I guess is what I'm coming because you know, and it, yeah, that would be great. But will people pay for it? I think there's always a quality of service angle to be played here. Yeah. Well, is there, uh, let me ask you, you, you have your stuff in the cloud. Does it require somebody watching it all the time or do you get alerts? Do you know, is it, that's my uh, question. We, you know, it's pretty darn stable. So we don't really have, you know, we have things built into our website to email and, and provide alerts when we notice things that go wrong. Yeah. S3 doesn't provide anything that I know of. But they do provide a very, very strong SLA today. And uh, like I said, we haven't noticed any any outages of any significance whatsoever yet. Um, I think going back to your question, though, about would it make sense for an ISP to do this, um, it comes down to, you know, what what the business model is for that ISP. If they're providing... You know, if they're basically adding a margin on top of what the cloud is costing them... Mm-hmm. Then it's a no lose. I mean, they can't right. lose in that situation, right? Right. But if they're if if the price they're charging to customers, um, you know, could if they could potentially put more margin into that based on, uh, you know, hosting their own data centers and, and taking the risk of basically being able to do it for cheaper themselves, because you know, if they needed an equivalent of say a thousand servers. Yeah, it would probably be cheaper for them to invest, buy those, have the IT staff on hand to to manage those, than to pay the cost that they might pay to the cloud provider. You really think so? Do you really think it gets? Well, you know, when you start looking at the cost of EC2 magnified by thousands of servers, you could get there. I mean, you can. The whole business model is based. It's kind of like the difference between taking public transport, uh, you know, leasing a car and buying a car. That's kind of the difference between cloud SaaS. And you know, buying you know, uh, building your own data center, building well, your own sounds like infrastructure. It sounds like you're saying the cloud doesn't scale at that level. Well, what I'm saying is, if you took a taxi everywhere you possibly needed to go, uh, you're going to pay a lot more money than you'd probably pay in the end if you had just bought a car. Like if you're commuting from. So I don't understand your metaphor. Who's the taxi? The taxi is the cloud. Okay. So the key is, if you're just if you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of does contradict what we're but saying about scalability you, you to some get, degree, right? Yeah, but you were talking the, about a thousand servers. Eventually, you get to the size of the cloud, so you 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 need your own cloud. But wait a minute, though. I mean, we're talking about if you're talking about Azure or S3, a thousand they have thousands of servers or will have. But yeah, you, there's a point at which you're big enough that you can use the same economies of scale that clouds got and not pay the surcharge that the cloud that the cloud computing services have. But your that's expenses are ridiculous at that point though. If you yeah, did it yourself. Yeah, that's the point. But like an ISP could get there, right? In that model. Like if you, if you're a huge ISP and you're managing hundreds of thousands of of websites and customers. Well, let's say um, I mean that's that's Microsoft, you know. That's like they would have that problem, but what, you know, are enterprises going to scale that high? Enterprise websites? 
that's where that's where it gets interesting. I think that you know it, it's a matter of uh, you know the total size of the data center. I, I I think for small to medium sized businesses, it, right. it's really it's really a slam dunk. When you start getting into the big size companies, that's when it gets tricky, and that's what people are struggling with right now. We were talking about ISPs. I mean, your your average ISP, maybe they got a hundred megabits, maybe they have you know a gigabit of bandwidth, you know, and they have a lot of a lot of small businesses that that have websites, you know, maybe on co-location and stuff like that. These are the guys that I was talking about. I mean, at that kind of scale, uh, the question is: Is there enough value that they can add, you know, on top of what the cloud already gives them that their customers would say, "All right," and, and they would still be able to reduce their costs? I mean, that was that would be the big thing. It's like, okay, you have this co-location here. We're going to move it into the cloud, and I'm going to drop your costs. You know, is there anything that they can then uh, charge for on top of it besides, you know, besides having that means of communication? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about the, you know, the tooling and the management capabilities. Yeah. It's about all that stuff. And so, I mean, today, all the cloud platforms are very rudimentary in terms of the tooling and the management. So, you know, if if an ISP provides that and they're, they're kind of a smaller, you know, sized ISP, I think it would make a lot of sense for that. Hmm. As you grow to become like a GoDaddy and you're huge, then th- there, there's a threshold somewhere where it becomes a much more difficult uh, question to answer, I think. Yeah. And, but but the, the key is it, it allows smaller guys to get in and to, to reduce their risk and to grow until they get to that point and, and you know, can prove that the business is going to be a success. Yeah, that's right? true. So that's true. I, I see the cloud as a facilitator for proving business models more than yeah. anything else. Right. I mean, it's an incubation platform for new products. Yeah. I, uh, I got that blog site you were referencing called Above the Clouds. It's berkeleyclouds.blogspot.com. Yep, that's yeah. it. And right on the main page is the, the white paper about Above the Clouds. It's really interesting paper, very focused on the economics, which is something you don't read a lot about today in most of the most of the white papers about the cloud. Well, in economics when it comes to computing is an interesting thing because typically when I'm talking about a revenue application, right? Some kind of website that sells widgets that's making money, the cost of the infrastructure is such a tiny portion of the annual revenue. It's not like you know, the typical cost of goods at a factory where we're talking 60, 70% is making it and you have a small mar- margin. When you're talking about the construction and operation of a website, it's 10%. So, you know, we're reducing costs and questioning whether it's really necessary. I think development costs are far more consequential in this yeah. than operating costs. Sure. That's true. That's a good point. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're just about out of time. Aaron, is there any last minute things that you want to tell people? Uh, no, I mean, people can, if they want to check out this thing called Pluralsight On Demand that uh, led to this conversation, uh, they can go to Pluralsight.com. We offer free trials if they want to check it out and see what this online training looks like and what the, ex- the, the new uh, metaphor for online training, the new online training experience that we provided, uh, we'd be happy to, to give them one. So check out Pluralsight.com. And didn't you offer special for folks that uh, were unemployed? Yeah, yeah, that's wow. actually a, a new partnership we just established with Ineta. Um, so uh, we've we've made this offer to all user groups, all .NET user groups throughout the the world that are sponsored by Ineta. Um, you can go to your user group leader and request uh, a free one month subscription to Pluralsight on Demand if you're currently unemployed. Take as many of our courses as you'd like in that time to get new skills to hopefully help you get a job. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. It's been a pleasure talking to you, as always. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. And good luck with uh, Plural Site On Demand. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. 
online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a